probably most of us know someone, I, I wouldn't assume that it would ever be you, but someone who says something, talks about things, but they don't ever live up to what they talk about. They say a lot of things, they brag a lot maybe, or talk about how good they are, or that they're good Christians, or this or that, but when you examine their life, when you observe what they're doing, they, boy, they just don't match, kind of like the oil in the water this morning. They're just, they don't blend at all because we say things and we don't do that. That's what Paul has been trying to say as he brings us into the reality of what it means to be Christians in the world in which we live. That it's not sufficient to tell people we're Christians if our lives don't back it up. It doesn't do any good to go around telling people, yeah, I go to church and I do this and I do that. But then through the week, they look at us and say, well, it's obviously I don't need to go because if that's how you act going to church, then there's no reason for me to go because I'm acting as good or better than you are in the things that are going on. We, we need to understand that if we're going to say that we are people of God, we need to live like people of God. We need to accept that reality, and that's what he's talking about. You'll remember last week that uh, there was a dramatic moment in the sermon in which I removed my coat and threw it aside and put on a new coat. You may not have thought it was dramatic, but I, you know, I thought it was pretty good as we look at it and as we see. But the idea is it's not enough just to put on the new coat. If we don't do something having changed our nature, having accepted the gift of grace, if we don't allow what God does in our life to be brought forth in a way that it's evidence in who we are and what we do, then we're not really being able to be used of God to make a difference in the world in which we live. We're not being able to be those people, those children of God, that are able to glorify God and honor God with all that we are and all that we do together. And so Paul continues to speak to that as we look in Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 25 and going through verse 32. And as we look at those, we're going to see some characteristics that he's going to point out some very negative that ought to be removed even as I remove the coat. They need to not be a part of our life ever. Not just every once in a while. They just need to be removed from our lives. They shouldn't be a part of who we are as God's people. And then he gives us a few words that clarify who we are because we are the children of God and what that means. But all of it's been working together as he's been going through chapter 4, taking the doctrine that he's given us and now giving us the practical aspects of what that means in the Christian life as we live together and as the people of God and with one another. We can't be what we need to be with one another, much less within the context of the world we live in, if we don't allow these things to rule in our hearts and our lives. So stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word and allow it to speak to our hearts, beginning in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, beginning in verse 25. And as we read, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is talking to Christians, those who put off the old nature and put on the new. And he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will be, have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, 
as we hear these words, it's easy to listen to them and say, that, yeah, boy, those are good, they mean something, but to walk out of this place and, and not really have it had any effect upon our lives. Father, we who know you are, need to live like we know you. We need to live as though you have really made a difference in our lives and the old patterns of living and the old ways of life that we had before we came to know you are not to be a part of our life anymore. We're to put those things aside. And we get a list here of many of those things that shouldn't be a part of who we are. They shouldn't be things we even have to think about because they've been crushed in our past. They've been put aside. They've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We've been made brand new. We're new creations in Christ. And because we're brand new creations and because you're at work in our life, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and working out your purposes and your will in our life, then we don't do certain things anymore, but we do have some characteristics that blossom in us and allow us to be the kind of people that truly make a positive impact in the world in which we live. And so, Father, just let us be reminded of these things. There's nothing new that we all don't know here, but just let us be reminded and let us become more yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life so that we can be the kind of people that you would choose for us to be. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage and as we think about it, it gives a, a very vivid description of some things in our lives that we ought to put aside, that ought not be a part of our lives anymore. As we look and as we see, you know, the first thing he talked about, I mean, right off the bat, he said, we ought to put aside all falsehood, all lying. There should be nothing that comes out of our mouth that's not true. We shouldn't be a people who speak one thing and live another, who speak one thing to one group of people and speak another group to another group of people, and we're not consistent in the things that we say and the things that we are. It's, we're not to be people who don't keep up with things. And it's not just with what we speak, it's how we live. We're, we're to be honest in our work. If I get paid a certain amount for a certain amount of work, then I need to do that work to the best of my ability. I need to give the kind of time. I don't need to take an extra 15-minute break when I have a break or get in a little bit late or leave a little bit early or whatever the case may be. I need to give an honest day's work for the things that I'm doing. I need to be honest since we're getting into tax season. I need to be honest in my taxes and the things that are going on. It may, you may think it's not fair. The government doesn't have right for this or that. That doesn't matter. You're a Christian. You give what the law says you give. You give rightly and fully because you do not lie. You do not do falsehoods. You give according to the way that you're supposed to do in all the things that we are and everything we are. The Bible says in John 8, 44, that, that Satan is the father of all lies. So every lie is birthed through him. And if, we, if we're speaking lies, then what we're doing is allowing him to be the one who dictates how we speak, dictates how we live in the things that are going on. And he no longer has control over you. And so if he doesn't have control and you're still giving him permission to use you for false things, then we're not allowing what God is doing in our life to take root and take hold. And so we need to live accordingly. We, we need to put falsehood out of, our, out of our mind, out of our life, as the things would come and as we would see in all the things that are happening here. But not only that, he tells us not to be angry. Get angry, but not to stay angry. There's a, that's always a hard place for some of us because, well, you know, you can't be angry at all. Jesus showed some anger or in his when he cleaned out the temple and did some other things what's he talking about anger at sin anger at what sin has done in the lives of people around us anger at the evil of our world and all those things 
or the things that brought about his anger and the things that we can be angry at, but we're not to let that anger so dwell in our hearts and in our lives that it begins to take root and we begin to just be angry people all the time about anything and everything. We ought to be angry at the world we live in. We ought to be angry at sin. We ought to be angry at the pain that people are caused because of sin. Not necessarily their personal sin, but sin in our world that has come. And all the things that are a result of it, the disasters, the heartaches, all the things that are going on in our world, we ought to hate sin. But rather, most of us have just gotten so complacent that we just accept it as being a part of life and it doesn't, it doesn't make us angry anymore. We don't get upset with the fact that sin is prevailing, that lives are being destroyed, that hearts are being broken because of a sinful lifestyle that we live in the power of sin in our world we ought to be angry at that but we don't let it consume us and, and we put that in God's hands and we pray about it and we give that to God and allow him to be a part of what's going on and so he tells us that anger shouldn't that we have certain things that we should be angry and be able to be angry about but it doesn't consume us so that we even go to bed angry we do everything because that affects all of our relationships with one another if we're angry people we don't get along with one another doesn't matter what we're angry at. If I stay angry all the time, I'm just not going to have an influence. I'm not going to have the kind of lifestyle. I'm not going to be the kind of person that can be around people in the way that they want us to be. And so he tells us about being angry and control. It tells us we shouldn't steal anymore. If we were people who had a habit of stealing before we came to know Christ, that needs to quit. We should never steal again. In fact, he says what you should do is use your hands to work in such a way that not only do you are able to provide for yourself, but that you're able to provide for those who come up in need and being able to do some things. So you should not steal from people, not steal things for yourself, but rather you should work in such a way that you provide all of your own needs, but also that you have the ability when you are made aware of someone in need that you might be able to help them as well with that which you have. We're to be a people of generosity, a people who don't need to take that which is not our own, but to take all the gifts that God has given given to us and use them for his glory and for his purpose and the things that are going on and he goes on not only not that we shouldn't steal but he talks about our communication and we've been talking about that a lot on Sunday nights in the book of James but he's saying that we ought not to use our mouths for anything but edification not to curse people not to tear people down not to make people feel badly about themselves not to speak words that have no value in the things but rather our words should be those kind of words that lift people up encourage people, strengthen people, help people to be more than what they could be, gives them hope and courage in all that they are and being a part of the things that are going on, that we're supposed to use the words that God has given us, the gift of language, to make a difference positively in the lives of people as we look at it as he comes. And so he continues to talk about that. And then he gives us a very powerful word that we need to understand. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You and I, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, if he truly is our Savior, have the God himself, the Holy Spirit, dwelling within us. He's here. And he's with us wherever we go and whatever we do. He's always with us. He dwells within us. When we decide that we will do things our way rather than God's way, when we determine that we don't need to be obedient, when we do, if we want to do all these other things, if we want to be angry all the time, if we want to steal, if we want to uh, lie, if we want to do all those kind of things, we grieve the spirit that dwells within us. See, 
God loves us, and he placed himself in the midst of us so that we become living tabernacles in the world in which we live, and, and we're to be the resident, we are the residents of God. But when we don't follow God's way for our life, when we don't live according to the pattern that he set for us, when we choose to live apart from him, we hinder his work in our life. But understand, you don't lose the Holy Spirit. You got the Holy Spirit when you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He, God himself moved into your life and he dwells there and he will never ever leave you. But we suppress his power in our life. We keep him from being, having the freedom to give us the things that he wants to do and to build our lives the way he wants to build them by our disobedience to the things of God. It's not a wonder that so many Christians are unhappy all the time. It's not a wonder that so many Christians don't know what it is to walk in the abundance of life, to know the victory of life, to know the joy that's amazing and all the things that are going on. It's not unusual at all because they're not doing what God wants them to do. They're not living the way God wants them to live, and they're grieving the Spirit. And it's not that he doesn't have the power. It's not that he's vanished and he's left them. It's rather that we, by our choice of disobedience and not being what God wants us to be, hinder his freedom to work in our lives. But when we walk as God wants us to walk, when we walk in obedience to God and we seek to live the way God wants us to, we free him to do all the wonder that he wants to do, to fill us up with that joy that we feel like we're missing all the time, to give us that peace that we wonder where it went, to give us power and victory and all the wonderful things that God says are ours as his people. We have the fullness and the freedom of them when we live according to the Spirit of God, to the Word of God, and let God's Word dwell in our hearts and in our lives the way he intends for it to do. And so many of us are missing so much in our lives because we have chosen not to live in obedience to the things God has told us to do. It's just that simple. I'm miserable in my Christian life. I, can't, I don't know anything about people who have peace. I, I couldn't talk to you about joy that's unspeakable. Why? Because I have chosen that my desire is more important than God's desire, and I'm going to do it my way, period. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and so we, we limit his power in our life because he doesn't force us to do anything. He didn't force us to trust him as Lord and Savior. He never will to anyone who's lost. But he pours out his love to us and, and pleads with us through Jesus Christ, please be forgiven. Please accept the grace that I have and the mercy that I have. And when we do, we accept him as Lord and Savior of our life. And we know forgiveness of sin and the newness of life. And he moves into us and lives there. But even then, it's a continuum. When we put on that new suit, when we put on that new creation, we have to keep working on it and keep working on it to let him be in control. That's what it means when it tells us to be filled with the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean that we, we, we got empty and so now we've got to get filled back up again. We don't ever get empty of, of the Holy Spirit. We don't lose any portion of Him in our lives. We have all of Him we'll ever have. But when we, again, walk in disobedience, we are, we're not letting Him be in control. And when He's not in control, we can't have the joy and the wonder that we want to have in life. We can't be the kind of Christians God wants us to be. And so we have to be filled. That means I have to surrender. I have to be able to say daily, I give myself to you. I submit to you. I yield to your leadership in my life. I give you my heart, my mind, my soul, everything that I am. You're in control. I'm no longer in control. That's being filled with the Spirit of God. And when I'm not, I need to do it again. I need to yield. I need to get on my knees before God and say, forgive me for taking back control of my life. It's yours. It's not mine. And you need to be in charge of all that I do and everything that I am. And so he's speaking to us as Christians. These are to be the things that just 
say who we are and what we are. It ought to just be natural for us to be not willing to do those kind of things. And then he gives us a real strong explanation when he talks about this temper and, and anger and malice and all these kind of things. He's talking about things that, that talk about bitterness. The scripture says that we need to root, get rid of the root of bitterness. You know, I know none of you have weeds in your yard or anything, but in my yard, there's, there's all kinds of weeds. And if I mow them, they come back. And if I, you know, just try to dig some of them up, if I get the root, they're gone. Whether it's by some kind of spray that actually kills the root, but best, what I've always found that works best is what I like least is just getting down on my knees and digging them up, getting the root. And when the root's gone, they're gone. That's what he talks about in the Bible, about getting rid of bitterness. It's not just enough to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to be bitter anymore. Or I give, forgive this or I forget. We have to get to the root. We have to get to the heart and just say, God, kill this bitterness in my life. I don't want to be bitter against anybody anymore. I want to hold on to that bitterness in my life. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about this bitterness that's there and, and the wrath and the anger and the malice. See, malice is an attitude that I want what's worse for you. If I have malice towards you, I want bad things for you. I want you to fail at your job. I want you to be miserable in your life. I want your marriage to fall apart. I don't want you to have a happy parent-child relationship. I just don't want anything good about you to happen. That's malice. See, that should never be a part of our lives. We should never even think about the possibility of that being a part of who we are. And, and, and glamour is, is when we talk all the time in like gossip or in, in quarrelsome ways or things that we're just trying to spread things that will cause harm and we know that the spreading will just hurt someone. And we say it anyway. And we have no right to hurt people as Christians. We're to edify people, build people up, and being a part of all that's going on and doing it. So he, he comes to that, and he, and he comes to that last part where he, where he says to us instead, these, these, not the only ones by any means, but these are characteristics that ought to be a part of your life every day. Kindness. We ought to be kind all the time. Tenderhearted. Being able to see in people beyond the bad, because all of us have bad in us. And that's easy to see. We don't have any trouble pointing out things that are wrong in each other's life. But a tenderheartedness is a desire to see the good in people and to see the need in their life and to want to have some way to pray for it, to speak words of encouragement to it, to do something physically if it's possible, but to care about people because Jesus cared about them enough to die for them. And we need to care the same way. And forgiving. Boy, isn't that one of the hardest things we have to do? <laughs> to be forgiving. That's what he tells us. That we ought to forgive one another as we've been forgiven. See, if we're children of God, if we're Christians, God forgave us. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't pay him enough to do it. There was nothing about that. He had no obligation to forgive us he had no need to forgive us except that he overwhelming love wants so desperately to forgive us 
so that we can walk in the purity and the cleanness of life and not in guilt and not in shame and not in those ways of life, but he wants us to be free and to live in the wonder of his love and he wants to forgive us, his desires to forgive us and he demonstrated that on the cross and said, here is how much I love you and what I'm willing to pay that you can be forgiven, that you never ever have to live under the guilt and the burden of your sin, but you can be forgiven. And I don't just forgive you for the moment, but I forgive you according to Scripture. He says, I forgive you as far as the east is from the west. I forgive you in such a way that I'll remember it no more. It's gone. And if Satan brings it up to you, then just tell Satan, shut his mouth. You don't have any grounds to stand upon because I'm forgiven. God forgave me in Jesus Christ. And if I've been forgiven in that way, then he says, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to forgive one another. We ought to forgive one another. We all make mistakes. We all hurt each other. We all do things that we wish we hadn't done. We say things we wish we hadn't said. There's no one perfect in this room. And we need to be able to forgive each other. Because we're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to hurt each other. Often not intentionally. It may be something we didn't even think about. But we need to forgive each other. And that's why if we're Christians, Paul is trying to say, you know, God did this for us. And all these things in Christ we've experienced. And now because we have become brand new creations, there ought to be a difference in the way we live and the way everybody else in the world lives. It's not about religion because religion is just a set of rules that says do this, do this, and don't do that, don't do that. That's not what it's about at all. It's about a relationship with a father who loved us so very much that he gave himself to us in Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, to pay the debt that we owe that we could not pay and make it possible for us to walk in a newness of life and gave us the power of God himself by dwelling within us so that we could do what we couldn't do ourselves. And we can We can. We can be the kind of people that make such a positive impact in the lives of one another, in the lives of those around, that we can touch this world for God through grace and mercy. But we have to be forgiving and kind and tenderhearted and put aside those things that were the old way because we've put on a whole new suit of clothes. We have been clothed according to the Scripture in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not our righteousness. We don't have any. But in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He has clothed us in that. So that we might live according to the way of life. He's called us to live. It doesn't come naturally. It's supernatural. It's the work of God in us. But it's available to all of us to live that way. And to make that kind of difference. Would you pray with me? Father, today as we think about who we're supposed to be in Christ, it's easy to call ourselves Christians. It's easy to point out all the good things that we do. We go to church and most people who call themselves Christians don't. We do, maybe we give a tithe or a gift of of finances or of our time, of our talent, whatever it may be. We we do those kind of things. And and well, God, if we just look around us, we're just so much better than everybody else. We, We should feel good about ourselves. That's what Satan loves for us to think and loves for us to feel. But Father, we know in our hearts that's just not true. We know that we are a people who have been redeemed by the grace of God, not by anything that we've done or anything that we could ever do. 
that we have been loved beyond measure and will always be, for nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We know that an old way of life has been forgiven and cast aside and that we have become a people dressed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, sometimes it's just hard to live that out day in and day out. And your word reminds us of the need to do that. Reminds us that we don't need to be grieving the Holy Spirit by being disobedient and doing things that we know we shouldn't do. But rather we need to just give free reign to the Holy Spirit by submitting to your authority and your fullness in our lives. We live in a world that desperately, desperately, desperately needs God's people to look like and to act like God's people. May we be those who do, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.